This is Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital channel Carnival. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival via the RSN Racing and Sport app at rsn.net.au. This program is also available as a podcast on Thursday mornings by going to the RSN website and clicking on Women's Australian Rules Football or finding us on SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes or Google Podcasts. Coming up on this week's show, we'll be chatting with two-time AFLW Premiership footballer with the Adelaide Crows, Jenna McCormack. Also on the way, the latest recruit for the North Melbourne Tasmanian Kangaroos, straight out of Ireland, Maraid Schoeger, otherwise known as the Big Show. She's on the way. We'll do a quick lap around the world to get the latest women's footy results from England, Canada and the United States. And back home, we've got our State League's footy wrap with Alison Schiller covering the Sanford Women's Grand Final, Lauren Hodson covering the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division, We've got Ant Wingard taking a look at the Queensland Winter Series and, of course, Matthew Cox for a full review of round three of the Swiss Wellness VFL Women's Competition. But to our first guest. And joining us on the line now here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital channel, Carnival. It's our great privilege to have on the line a person we spoke to about three years ago, just prior to entering the AFLW and what a career they've had. It's great to have on the line Jenna McCormick. Jenna, how are you? I'm well, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. And I'm interested to ask you this question straight up front. How does it feel to be, at this moment, technically an AFLW retired footballer? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't look at it like that. I uh, almost look at it as just as just, uh, as just pressing pause on my uh, AFLW career. I'm not done yet. Um, I certainly know that there's um, going to be another opportunity for me to play for the Crows and play footy again. So, um, yeah, for me, for me, don't like don't like hearing that, don't like using that word purely just because I know I'm not retired. There's certainly more to come from me and just a, just a bit of a, um, a pause button, yes, uh, for now. Let's rewind back the clock three years to 2016. When we were speaking to you back then, you were playing uh, in the Lions versus Suns game at the Gabba, uh, all in preparation for the 2017 AFLW season. This is before the draft occurred. Um, obviously, back at that stage, you had to nominate for whatever state you wanted to end up being relocated to. Um, for you, what did it eventually come down to? Was it just a case of wanting to return to the home state of South Australia? Or were Adelaide actually very proactive in calling you and before, obviously, they've drafted you to say, look, we'd like you to nominate for the state of South Australia? Yeah, Crows were... I was really happy with um, how they handled it all and how they um, how they did chase me down and, and contact me and make sure that they followed everything up and I think at the time I was actually in Iceland um, playing soccer, um, and I remember I remember Phil um, Phil Harper at the time, yeah, just 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 talking to me and putting aside time to Skype me when I was on the other side of the world, and um, not you know not saying that uh, they were the only ones who put the effort in, but it was also enticing, obviously that. Um, to come back home and um, and know that my family are all here as well. So um, so yeah, ultimately it just came down to um, how I felt about the situation and and um, you know and the gut feeling that you do get in these sorts of situations that um, when you're faced with decisions that you have to make. One question that we asked you about in our interview in 2016 was what 
you thought you had to improve on as a footballer. We said everyone's their, their own best critic. Most will typically say something is to do with their kicking skills, handballing, whatever it might be. You actually said it was about the mental side of the game and strategy and getting your head in the right space. How was it, um, I guess, in the latter part of your time at Iceland and then playing W League before the AFLW season, did you find it hard at all to concentrate on playing the round ball game while there's all the excitement around the debut, the inaugural season of the AFLW? Yeah, um, hugely distracting, um, I guess, with all of the hype that happened in in season one. Um, when I was playing W League, I, yeah, I, I specifically remember I was in Canberra at the time and, and playing for Canberra United and um, yeah, and I just remember um, hating missing out on, um, you know, all of the first, so yeah, first Guernsey presentation, first launch day, um, you know, just the first of everything, um, uh, which was a really special moment for all of the girls to be able to um, experience. And and uh, and so, uh, so, so I guess for me, um, the, the one thing that I had to concentrate or said that I had to concentrate and try and get better at was the mental side because because I really was just uh, having to juggle um, both of them and having to compartmentalise my brain and um, and make sure that when I was in a specific place at the time I really concentrated on that and then uh, and for the last three years that's what I've had to try and do um, when I was in Canberra it was okay because I was kind of away from um, the city and I wasn't drawn into um, uh, biting more than I can biting up more than I can chew really in terms of physic, physical load so um, in a way that was good in a way there was obviously negatives to it as well I missed out on way more pre-season um, obviously all of the firsts that happened that year um, and and yeah, etc. So, and then the next year I was playing for Adelaide United, um, and it, I was I was home. I was in town for um, both of the sports and could be at more things. That was the positive. I could be at more trainings. Um, I could you know get around the girls a lot more, um, make meetings with coaches and and talk about things that I needed to understand for the upcoming season more. Um, but I was training more as well, and that that took a real bite out of um, me and mentally and physically. I sort of felt myself drained a little bit, and I was really up. I know what I'm capable of, and I was really only putting able to put in about seventy percent of um, you know my ability to perform um, in both of my codes because I was in the one spot at the one time which in a way you'd think that'd be good and it was but in a way there was also um, just also some negatives to that as well and one of those was um, physically just being a little bit more drained and um, purely because I was in in the state able to be able to be doing more trainings and stuff so um, so yeah so I found that when I went to Brisbane the next year um, I found myself in the Canberra situation again where I was um, located, you know, away from the team, and um, although I did miss out on getting to be with the girls um, a lot more than I would have liked, I, I did have that ability to be in Brisbane and focus on soccer and know while when I'm there what I've got to focus on, and when I do travel back to Adelaide, okay, I'm in Adelaide, what have I got to focus on? So it was, it's really 
it's been really hard to mentally have to um, switch between the two, which is why I said, yeah, I've got to focus so much on the tactical side of it because, um, you know, the, the game is what I grew up with, the game is what I grew up playing. So um, naturally, I still know how to kick a footy and still know how to handball and, and do all the craft. But, um, but yeah, it was thinking about um, where I should be, the team structures, you know, all that sort of stuff that I really had to focus on. You were lucky that you were at a club that was designed with an AFLW program to train players remotely because they obviously had a core based in Adelaide and there was a core obviously based in Darwin. What was the communication like between the Crows and your respective W League clubs in trying to get that balance right for your training load? Yeah, so obviously first time for the club to have to, have to try and handle it. Yes, we did have the NT um, situation where we had people abroad, but they were still only there to train and do what um, do, do what basically our SNCs from here would tell them to do. They had their coaches and they had um, those sorts of people looking after it all. Whereas I still was, I was, I was, I was still obviously secluded from the group and was essentially on my own. So um, and, and focusing on another sport. So I did have to do quite a lot of communicating and. Um, uh, and our SNCs and our um, staff were really good at making sure that they did um, that they did communicate and, and there was wasn't anything left in the dark. But we did have to learn along the way as well. So um, first couple of years, learning as, as as we go and 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 not being as great in areas or, or you know reevaluating and thinking where can we where could we have done better. Sort of at the end of the season, there were certainly times where. Um, where you know we lacked off on the communication, or there's something went wrong, or you know, so so over the last three years, yeah, it's been been tricky, but um, we've been able to manage and get through, and and um, and yeah, just just make sure that um, make sure that I'm still doing what I do need to be doing, and 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 focusing, I guess, when I come here on yeah, what what can I sort of make up in the meantime, or or um, or now switch over to sort of now that I would be full-time back in Adelaide. Did you take much feedback on board from your co-captain, Erin Phillips, considering she was in a fairly similar situation, albeit she had just finished uh, playing basketball, but she was still involved in coaching. She's juggling uh, commitments with two sports and, similar to you, commitments of living overseas during the Australian winter. Yeah, so, um, yeah, like you said, Erin's sort of in a similar boat. Um the good thing for her is that she is able to be um, there, there at the AFLW preseason and stuff for the entire time, and there's not too much overlap. I think she get yeah, so she's in America over our winter, and then can come here in the summer. So her, it lines up really well, um, which is good. Um, but yeah, so for me, yeah, we we we'll have a few chats, and um, you know, she's somebody that I know that I can go to. Um, you know, if I do need anything, which is really great um, to have those sorts of people in your life. Um, and, yeah, she'll obviously understand the situation um, a little bit more than us. For yourself personally, as you mentioned, because you missed most of the preseason having the W League commitments, um, how did you go about trying to bond with your teammates and how long did you personally feel it took to you finally truly felt part of the Adelaide Crows? Yeah, um, well, I guess in the first season it was, a little bit um, hard for me 
did feel like it was hard to crack in um, to the culture just purely because I wasn't there and they were building it whilst I wasn't there. Um, but the girls are fantastic and, and great people, which makes our club and what we've achieved so um, so special because the people the people there who who run the place, the people who um, play in the team are very, very great quality people and um, certainly make you feel like you're at home and certainly make you feel um, like you're one of them and, and respected. So there wasn't too many difficulties, actually. It was, it was more just, um, just me finding my feet and finding where I feel most comfortable and, um, and stuff like that. So, so yeah, in answer to your question, it didn't take that long. Um, but, yeah, there were certainly, certainly areas that I noticed that I missed out on um, culturally because of not being there. We look back at your career when it comes to premierships because as we spoke in 2016, you originally played with Morphville Park in the SAWFL, very successful club. Then you switched to playing with Cooperoo in the QWAFL, again, another very successful club. And, of course, you ended up at the Adelaide Crows and your three-year tender there, you won two premierships. You must have been thinking, geez, this is an easy game. <laughs> oh, no, I certainly know. There's a lot of hard work that goes into it. Um, but it's, it's been nice to be involved with, like you said, some great clubs in my time and um, fortunate enough to be here at the Crows and um, and know how great that club is and what they've done in the AFL, um, you know, for their, for their short life. Um, so, and, and it's been, yeah, great to be involved um, here and I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to rather, I wouldn't rather be anywhere else. Um, sorry, it's not W, it's, uh, it's a place that I call home and um, the club, do such a great job at looking after us. So. GWS, Carlton, Fremantle have all gone through it. Uh, Collingwood's going through it at this very moment. And for the Crows, you went through it, a, a change of coach after Beck got a departed after the second AFLW season. For you as a player, can you explain what the feelings are like? What What's going through your head at the moment of, OK, Beck's gone, new coach is coming in? Yeah, of course. Oh, look, this happens. Um, this happens in sport, you know, and people have got to recognise that players come and go, coaches come and go, same thing. Obviously, we have mixed emotions. Um, with Beth, we've just come off, um, or we've won a premiership with her, and then we've come off um, a little bit more of a disappointing season after that and not finishing where we wanted to. Um, but, yeah, like I said, um, people come and go in elite sport, and, and the girls who are new to elite sport wouldn't know that. Um, and maybe they might have struggled a little bit more with the understanding um, or the understanding of that. Uh, but, you know, for people who have been in elite sports, um, you know, it's, it's sad. You can have your time to grieve if you're really close to that person or you have your time um, to let it sink in. But um, at the end of the day, you know, they've got things that they um, want to do in their life or, or players, coaches, you know, staff, it doesn't matter who. Um, and they'll move on and, and go and chase chase the next thing in their life. And we, we just we are happy to sit there and wish them well, and then keep focusing on our life. So um, it was a bit tricky, I think. Like I said, for some of the girls who didn't know how to handle it, but they'll they'll come out of that experience um, knowing knowing how to handle it next time, and um, and and yeah, be able to be able to wish wish them all well um, when we do have player and coach um, departures. 
under Beck Goddard's tenure, not only did you obviously have a premiership, but under the two years uh, you were with her, you averaged 6.1 and 6.2 disposals for the season, respectively. Uh, under Matthew Clark, that actually increased to 8.5 uh, disposals per match season average. What do you think Matthew Clark did to get the better out of you? Um, we spent a lot. Uh, I spent a lot of time with him um, talking about structures and how to play the game um, purely because of what I said earlier about not being there and not not going through any of the training. Um, so I spent a lot of time with him on that and. Um, I'm, I'm not really quite sure, but he, his, his experience as, a, as an AFL coach and obviously as a player is invaluable and passes on some really great pieces of advice and great tips on, um, I guess, getting the best out of your game. And not only not only him, but all of our other coaches and staff as well um, had, had great knowledge and um, we did a lot of work on our craft as well when I finally got there. Um, and, and and handling of the ball, and um, we did we did we did think a lot of, a lot more about our structures, and we had structures with Beck, but um, with Matthew we um, we had different structures, and I think because of those as well, made our game style and our game play a little bit differently, and probably allowed players like me and other players uh, as well in the team whose stats would have jumped as well get on the ball a little bit more and. Um, and, and use it efficiently. So um, I think it comes down to probably a bit of gameplay, style, and, um, yeah, I guess maybe just some different coaching too. You're, at least for the moment, living the Aussie rules game after playing three years at the national level. In the round ball code, you'd played at Adelaide United, Canberra United, Brisbane Raw. You'd played in Iceland. You'd played in Norway. Do you see yourself as, as perhaps a restless person that's in need of constant change? Um, not necessarily. I'm chasing, um, chasing new opportunities, and um, and if I feel that I'm not getting challenged um, in in areas, then um, I will look to make sure I'm getting the best out of um, best out of myself. So uh, I wouldn't. I'm not restless in that. I need knew all the time. I certainly would love to settle uh, a sub where obviously if, um, the club is right for me and um, and I still am getting uh, challenged and, and and getting the best out of myself as an athlete. Um, but yeah, like I said, if I'm not, I'm not afraid of um, I'm not afraid of moving to somewhere that will better me and that's, that's what I did. It, um, I did this year, oh, last year, sorry, just gone. Moving up to Brisbane, it was a bit of a punt. Um, I wasn't even sure I wanted to play soccer anymore after a bit of a challenging experience in Norway. Um, didn't didn't really love the game anymore and didn't really want to play. But um, Brisbane, who, who I've obviously been up and living there before, I know the coach and um, she came to me and, and asked whether I would uh, be interested in coming up for a half season. And it's it's doors and it's opportunities that come to you in life that. Um, that help you make decisions and and um, and allow you to move around like that. Um, so that was a door that came to me and one that I decided to walk through and give a go uh, for half a season. And um, turns out that it was a really really good decision and something that really benefited my soccer career. So um, I'm, I'm certainly happy with how that all went and um, and and happy with the decision I made and. 
um, if there's another door or another opportunity that will open for me later this year, then I'll look into taking it. But yeah, for now, I just, not so much wrestles, but just uh, um, open to opportunities and, and things that come my way. Do you think by winning two premierships so early in your Aussie Rules career out of those three seasons at the Adelaide Crows, it made the decision easier now to concentrate on soccer? That is, if for whatever reason you don't end up coming back to Aussie Rules, at least you can say, I ticked the boxes, I achieved as much as I could at the highest level possible in that game, and now I can move on to the next goals. Yeah, um, I played a big part in my decision. I, uh, I knew that once, um, I knew that I knew that I'd achieve yeah two premierships from now and um, and in the sport there isn't much else you can do except individual accolades and and um, you know that'll be something that I do focus on um, when I do come back and uh, seeing how, how I can get the best out of my game but yeah for now I'm certainly extremely um, happy to be able to say that I have won two premierships and that is all you can do in that sport and I'm very happy and uh, content with my decision. I know it's the right one at this point in time. Um, and I feel like I've got unfinished business um, in, in soccer that um, I want to be able to not live with any regrets and put all my eggs in one basket for a year and see where that takes me. If it takes me somewhere, then fabulous. That's exactly what I want. If it doesn't, then I'll happily be able to say, you know, I gave it my all. I put my AFLW career on hold to... Um, to see if I can get anything out of soccer, and um, and if yeah, if nothing comes out of it, I'll be happy to walk back and come back and play footy and still enjoy my um, career as an LA athlete. So, um, but yeah, so for yeah, for now, just just happy to uh, just happy to follow my soccer career and um, and and yeah, see where it takes me. What are your short to medium term goals in the round ball code? Uh, obviously at W League level and and where you're hoping to play overseas. You're looking for another trip over to Europe. Are you hoping maybe to go across to North America and see if you can break into the NWSL? Short term plans for me. Um, I'd love to be in Europe uh, for the last oh, for the three months leading up to W League preseason. Um, it'd be a really good environment. Um, and uh, and good place to prepare and 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 develop. So that would be ideal to be yeah heading away. But um, if I don't get an opportunity, then I'll just be here um, in Adelaide playing WNPO and enjoying the rest of my off season before I do um, uh, head away to preseason for um, soccer. So so yeah, but not re- not really sure uh, sort of where it will take me. But in terms of goals as well, um, I'd love to. I'd love to win a championship with the with with, with W in W League and be able to say that I've achieved that. So that's probably my uh, my next goal um, to do that. But really, just focusing on having a good, consistent individual season um, and continuously enjoy the sport um, because that's where I get the best out of myself. So um, that'll be definitely something that I'm focusing on coming into next W League. How much extra fuel and motivation is there for you, obviously, over the next month or so, seeing Australia play in the Women's World Cup? Oh, I'm really excited to be able to watch them and uh, watch, watch, watch what they can showcase and, and do for our country. And it's going to be a huge occasion and a huge um, opportunity for people to see what we can do in that sport and what we can do at the top level and gain, gain more and more respect from people um, 
in this country about what we can do and hopefully increase um, the increase the awareness of, of what we're doing and, and in turn increase um, the quality of our game and, and get it up to where it needs to be at that um, fully professional level. So um, re- really excited to be able to watch them and um, see what they can do and, and certainly we'll be um, very proud to hopefully share a bit of success with them, um, you know, as a, as a soccer player and um, as someone who, who's an Australian citizen. One thing we actually didn't touch on when we uh, chatted three years ago and we were talking about uh, your career as a sports person uh, growing up was you actually played a little bit of cricket in your high school years when you were in Mount Gambier. How were you as a cricketer and in the challenging aspect as a sports person, was there ever temptation considering the success of the WBBL to say, well, maybe I need to have a look back at cricket again and having a go there? Yeah, I did grow up playing cricket and um, represented my state a number of times in underage competitions um so so that was yeah another sport I had on my plate but um I found that I found that I didn't love the sport as much as I loved the other two that I was also playing um and it just did get it was getting a little bit much for me um so I did I did have to drop one and, and cricket was the was the one I didn't really want to stand out in the field anymore for six hours uh you know at a time um, playing cricket, so yeah, that was me. But the, the cricket's been um, absolutely incredible, and what those those girls have been able to do in their league and where it's at, and um, the professional state of um, women's cricket in Australia is really, really strong. Um, so that's something that's fantastic to be able to see, and um, and uh, and something that I'm I'm really happy for um, for them to have achieved, and I and I hope for soccer and footy to follow in those footsteps. Um, and, and, and reach that level. Yeah, go on. I was going to say, and I wanted to switch now from your sporting career across to your business career. Can you talk about the independent project that you've set up? Yeah, so I've, um, I've got a little um, casual clothing line um, that I run with a business partner and it's been going for about a year now. Um, and I created this on the basis of the idea of encouraging others to step out of maybe... Um, insecurities or um, stepping out of shadows that they might um, feel that they're in um, to, to live their best life and li- and make the decisions they want to live in life. And um, I went through a stage of um, feeling like I was in somebody's shadow and and realizing the importance of stepping out and and um, and realizing who you are during that time. Um, so. Really important for for me to, um, and I had a, and I had a passion for casual clothing as well. So um, I mixed the two and, and tried to create a um, a really strong message and and, and values around um, creating a movement of helping people realise that um, that they've got to make decisions in life that make them happy, and they've really got to they've got to do everything that they can to live a happy life, and they've only got one. So. Yeah, I created this and um, and then and, and really just trying to get that message out there and sharing with other people um, what what that means what that means to be a part of this family and and doing it doing it through casual clothes. So um, yeah, something that's a little hobby of mine on the side hustle. Um, just trying to and I really enjoy I really enjoy business and um, operating and and um, doing all the behind the scenes stuff. So that for me is another 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 interest of mine. 
um, and I'm studying at the moment doing cert, uh, sorry, a diploma in business. So that's um, that's helping uh, helping move the business along um, as well. So so yeah, um, we're online at the moment at theindependentproject.com.au and we're on all the socials as well. So um, if if you find that um, it's something that you, you you're finding that you relate to it as well, jump on board. Give us a follow, engage in our content, have a look at what we're about, and um, and yeah, and yeah, get get around it and, and join our family, and um, and I guess help us spread the awareness of the importance of uh, that as well. So yeah, that's what I've also got going at the moment. And you can find out more about the independent project by going to Jenna's website, jennamccormack.com. And also on there, you've released a uh, video uh, just a couple of weeks ago talking about the Own Your Story beanies. Yeah, so we just dropped the beanie um, for winter, which is really, really, um, did really, really well. Um, I thought I'd do a video just really to explain the, the reasons why behind it, the design, and give people a little bit more of an insight as to... Um, as to the beanie and the product itself and, and what they would be purchasing if they purchased one. So, yeah, that, that video is on, on the website as well. Um, but, yeah, really, the, the, beanie, the beanie went, went uh, really, really well. Got a really good response from that. We sold out of our first um, our first batch that we um, that we ordered and we're um, expecting a new batch to arrive this week um, to send off to those um, people who uh, put in orders but um, missed out on the first batch. Um, so they're, they're arriving this week, and, and um, we're also looking at stocking two more colours as well. So Beanie did really, really well. Obviously, when it's cold, everybody wants a Beanie, um, so, so, and those ones are pretty cool as well. So, um, yeah, really, really happy with how that went, and there'll be a couple more items come out for winter as well in the next couple of months. So, um, yeah, keep your eyes peeled, and, and they'll be out shortly. Just on a, a quirky note for a moment, uh, we know there's some talented musicians that actually play in the AFLW. Uh, probably one of the most famous is Beg Goring, the vice-captain at Geelong, who's a, a very talented jazz guitarist. Uh, for yourself, mm. if I recall correctly, back in 2017, there was a video released on social media of a few Adelaide Crows players sitting around, I think preparing for the game in Darwin. It might have been a night out from it. Uh, and the guitar got brought out and everyone was singing a few songs. If I recall correctly, I think you got out the guitar to sing a, a tune. Have you followed that up at all? Uh, will we see a gig or two in a bar somewhere from Jenna McCormick? <laughs> oh, I, I really enjoy playing guitar and singing around, um, but the anxious side of me gets the better of me at times and I get really, really nervous. Um, so in terms of gigging in front of people, I highly doubt that will ever happen. Um, but I do, yes, I do enjoy getting the guitar out and just having a bit of a strum and a bit of a play kind of takes me away. And, um, you know, if I'm needing time away or, or just, just time for myself, I usually get it out and, and um, spend a bit of time on it. So, um, yeah, another, I guess, another hobby of mine. And one last question before we let you go. As you've said, you've put pause for the moment on your AFLW career with the Adelaide Crows. If you do come back, there's obviously no guarantee that you'll play with the Crows, depending on whatever draft and signing rules are around at the time. But if you're to look back on the three years of you, uh, at the Crows, what is your favourite memory to take away from that time? Um. I've had so many great memories, but my favourite has, has actually just got to be the grand final that we just won. Um, just go on. It's been it was a it was a real whirlwind ride. Um, we earned our spot to be there through a semi final and made it all the more special going through and winning it at home 
um, in front of 53,000 people. So that memory alone, um, when the siren went and playing in that game, certainly my favourite. Um, and I will never, ever, ever forget that experience playing our Adelaide Oval um, in front of a full house and winning a grand finals is um, almost indescribable. And yeah, that that will never leave my memory and it is certainly my favourite of playing at this club. Well, Jenna, thank you very much for taking the time to join us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival. And we wish you all the very best in the next stages of your sporting and business careers. Very much appreciate it, Tom. Don't go anywhere. We've got coming up North Melbourne, Tasmanian Kangaroos' latest Irish recruit, Mairead Showager, coming up right after this. We are the Australian Literacy and Numeracy Foundation, striving to empower our most marginalised communities through literacy and education. Literacy is having a voice. Literacy is opportunity. Literacy is dreaming big. Literacy is freedom. Today, you can help end inequality and give every child access to our life-changing and proven literacy programs. Your support is vital. Donate now at ALNF.org. You're listening to Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival. I'm Peter Holden. We've got our international wrap coming up very soon. We'll be taking a look at the latest women's footy scores from England, Canada and the United States. But now to the North Melbourne Tasmanian Kangaroos' newest Irish recruit. And joining us on the line now here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival, all the way from Ireland, the latest Irish recruit to be signed to the AFLW. It's great to have Mairead Schoeger on the line. Mairead, how are you? I'm great, Peter. How are you? Thanks for taking the call. Great to have you on the line. And first of all, before we ask a little bit about your story, how does it feel to be a North Melbourne Tasmanian kangaroo? Uh, it's pretty amazing, to be honest. I can't believe it. Um, I'm just so excited about the whole experience and opportunities that are to come. Um, and I just feel like so lucky that um, North Melbourne is where I'm going. And, of course, you took part in the Crosscoders camp that was held over the weekend. Before we discuss that in detail, uh, when did the initial call come from the North Melbourne Football Club to say that, hey, we're signing you to a rookie contract and you're coming out to Australia? <laughs> um, I suppose uh, I got a phone call maybe two and a half, three weeks ago about initial interest, and then there was a process from there but with testing and did some interviews with Reese, the list manager, and also with Scott, the manager. And then from then on, I did some testing with the scout in here in Mayo. Um, I met up with them. And then once all the tests had been passed and that then there was an offer maybe two weeks ago and it was officially confirmed last Friday before just uh, the first day of camp. That's fantastic. You managed to uh, find out before uh, taking part in the camp uh, this weekend. But let's find out a little bit about your story first of all. When did you first start participating playing in your natural game of Gaelic football? Um, I started Gaelic football with my home club here in Galway in Ireland um, when I was only six years old and I've been playing ever since both at like club level, always played in schools, um, primary, secondary and then all through college. I played on both my college's football teams and then playing with the Galway senior ladies football team now for five years. You're described as a front half player. Were you always that growing up or did you actually develop into the position? Um, I suppose I've always kind of had a natural forward instinct um, growing up, so that never really changed. But I suppose definitely developed in terms of fitness-wise and that as a front-half player. In the last couple of years, my game has um, developed into that role. 
It's also mentioned, particularly in an article from the 42.ie, that you actually were a talented soccer player. Uh, what level did you end up reaching in the round ball code? Um, I played soccer at, in college level and we actually got an All-Ireland medal with the um, at the Intervarsities um, with NUIG in Galway. Um, and then besides that, I just played at club level really um, with various clubs, both in Galway and in Mayo growing up. Which sport do you think helped you better when it comes to, I guess, positioning in Aussie rules? Do you think it was soccer or Gaelic football that was probably the more uh, a natural assistance about where you needed to be positioned on the field? Um, definitely, I would have to say that Gaelic football is the one that lended itself to the Aussie rules. Um, just a lot of the skills, positioning, um, tactics, everything are very transferable in both codes. And I suppose it was an easy transition last September when I stopped playing football for the season and went straight into the Harvey Norman Premiership with AFL. It was an easy, um, it was an easy transition to make due to the football background. Now, before we talk about your time with the West Clare Waves and the AFL Island uh, women's competition, I want to take a left turn for a moment. I believe you competed at world championship yeah. level in Irish dancing. Yes, I did, surely. So probably from the age of six um, to the age of 13 or 14, I was a very competitive Irish dancer, both in solo dancing and teams. But then um, with the Coleman School of Irish Dancing, but then when it, my Irish dancing career kind of developed, I suppose it became more of a team, a team side, and that's where we competed at world level. And actually, have three world medals with um, Coleman School of Irish Dancing for eight hand, sixteen hand, and um, four hand as well. And combining uh, further to your sporting experience, I believe you also played tag rugby. Yeah, and that was actually prior to going in with the Galway Ladies Senior Football Team. Um, During the summer, I was playing in a local kind of derby in Galway City, Um, played tag rugby for a whole season. And then I loved it, actually. But then I suppose football, Galway Ladies Football took over. Then the summer is from then on. And I suppose you have to make a, a commitment to one sport. And that was the one for me. So, but no, I loved my time playing tag rugby. What drew you first to playing in the AFL Island women's competition and with the West Clare Waves? Um, so my friend, um, my friend Claire Cunningham, who moved home from Australia, she actually used to live in Geelong. Um, she was, she had been playing with um, Mike Cran and she was telling me about it a couple of years back. And I suppose at the time the competition was running through the football season, so I couldn't take part in it. But then last year. The first ever Harmy Norman Premiership was on in the winter, so it was our off season for football. So I said I'd give it a go, and uh, my club mate um, and football mate from Galway, Marie Coyne, who actually attended last year's cross coders camp in Australia, she told she had been playing with Mike Cran, and she said to give it a go too. So she kind of gave myself and Noel Connolly from Galway the push to um, go play in the competition, and I haven't looked back since. How did you adjust to the tackling side of the game? Um, well, I suppose I, you know, strength would be one area. It would be one of my strengths in the, in a football game. But um, it wasn't. It was. I suppose it was different at the start. But it's not. It's not. It wasn't too bad to adjust to. I suppose you just kind of once you get straight stuck in, it's just you kind of keep going and taking over. But it's more the thought about it prior to playing that was getting me done. Actually, when we got stuck in and got involved, it was easy to kind of continue. In the premiership season that you played with the West Clare Waves uh, last year, you took out the Golden Boot Award, scoring 22 goals. You must have thought it was just all too easy. 
Um, no, I was very lucky to be playing actually with great people around me. Um, I had the likes of Ailish Considine playing with the Adelaide Crows. She was around me. Um, the two Kellys now who are signed for Perth with the Eagles, they were around me. Noel Connolly, my goal, goal footballer. I had some of the Clare footballers playing, Sarah Bahan and all of them around me. So to be honest, they made it very easy for me to get in the right positions to grab the goal opportunities. Well, that begs the question, who are you more in awe of when it comes to Irish women playing in the AFLW? Are you more in awe of, for example, a uh, Cora Staunton, who, of course, is a legend in Gaelic football in Ireland, who was the first uh, Irish woman to really break through with the GWS Giants, or more in awe of someone like Ailish Considine, who, of course, came through the West Clare Waves and won a premiership this year with the Adelaide Crows? Um, to be honest, I suppose Cora Staunton was the first person that when I spotted that she was going over, um, I suppose she inspired me to kind of start paving the way to getting to where I am now to, you know, put the processes in place and make that first steps approach because she made it seem possible for girls like us coming over from Ireland. Then um, having played with Ailish Constantine, I suppose I followed her journey quite um, in depth last year or last I think it's a combination of all of the girls who've kind of broke that barrier and just paved that way and created those opportunities for the rest of us because I'm sure there'll be many more in the next um, few years coming over. It won't just be the 11 girls that are signed currently. I'd say we'll have a few more signings before the end of the year and with the rate that the game is growing, I could say in the next three years there'll, there'll be a huge cohort from Ireland transferring their skills to AFL. You took part in the Crosscoders program on the weekend. How did you first come across Crosscoders? Um, Mike Curran, actually, um, our West Club Fairways manager, had said to me to watch out for coming up um, just after Ailish um, and the girls went over to the Australia camp last year. Um, so he said that there will be another one. Something similar has been set up this year. Um, so then I suppose Jason Hill got in touch with me on Instagram. Um, himself and Lawrence Spark, I suppose, founders of the um, Crosscoders camp. But um, so it was kind of through social media that I became heavily in, in touch with them um, on Instagram messaging and things like that. And as soon as it became available to sign up to or put the names forward, um, I went ahead with that. And sure, it was just following the process from there on out. And what type of assistance and contact did they provide you prior to the actual camp itself that was held last weekend? Um, to be honest, their systems they put in place were phenomenal from the get-go. So they just got you to send on some basic information and from there they kind of compiled a profile for you. Um, and then got you, after that, they provided you with videos um, to develop like little skills that you could send back and forth and Lawrence Sparks would send um, just adjustments to upgrade the skills or do the progressions um, each week leading up to the camp with the eight, in the eight weeks in the run-up. Um, they also sent on some nutritional information, some basic gym inf- information that you might want to trial and test and see what suits your body. Um, then actually coming up to the camp, they gave a very detailed layout of what the camp weekend was going to consist of and how it was going to play out or what we needed to bring to be prepared for it. Um, they also made sure that there was everything in place for us in AIT over the weekend to make sure that we could get the best out of the whole weekend. It was super. And from a participant's point of view, can you explain um, how you um, enjoyed the Crosscoders program on the weekend and some of the activities you went through? Yeah, so to be honest, I I didn't think I was going to enjoy it so much. I literally loved it. But the whole three days were amazing. And I suppose that was down to the environment that was there. Everybody just 
we all got along very well and even though it's supposed to be a competitive environment I think everyone was there to kind of help and support and push each other on um, there was kind of a, a vast range of things from funny skills to strength testing endurance testing on the track um, there was like match them on Saturday and Sunday there was presentations on like the next steps for people who may be signed or people who may not have got signed over the weekend that they explained the draft system and all of that very well to us. So it was a massive combination of both being very informative, but also it was a hands-on approach to developing your skills and learning all about the game. Now, as you mentioned, uh, you spoke with Reese and Scott from North Melbourne, which we'll touch on in a moment's time. But am I correct in saying North Melbourne weren't the only one to approach you? There were other clubs that were interested? Um, yeah, um, you are right in saying that. But I suppose from the the get-go, North Melbourne were the first that got in touch with me and also just the phone calls with them. They had already put a lot of investment into me without even having, you know, before there was any offer to sign up. So I suppose it was just the most comfortable and it was the, the easiest process and route to take, I suppose. Um, they just made me feel feel like they really wanted to invest and they were really keen and they had done a lot of homework. You know, it wasn't just they were taking a chance off a whim. So I suppose... It was an easy it was an easy offer to accept when it came down to it. Can you explain a little bit behind that investment and what what, what was the type of the conversation we were having with Reese and particularly Scott Gowan as the coach? What did they want to know from you before obviously they would go, here's the contract, we want you? Yeah, so I suppose they had a lot of the my information they had a lot of my information already from an athletic point of view. So through the profile I suppose that Jason and Lauren would have created for them. So I suppose when it came down to the interview and that, they just wanted to see, you know, a little bit about my background, what the type of family I came from, what I was working in, um, a lot about my character and the type of, you know, the type of person I am, what my other interests might be. Um, They also wanted to see how I would fit to moving away and was it something that I was, you know, willing to do and would be open to and, you know, had I experienced having been away before. So I suppose for them, you know, they're taking a huge, they're taking a huge chance on, you know, bringing over an Irish rookie um, and they want to make sure that we fit in and they're comfortable from the get-go that we're not looking to go home straight away, you know. And talking about Melbourne, the city, how much do you know of what's going to be essentially your new home for a period of five to six months? Um, yeah, so I suppose I just... From hearsay and having talked to people, um, you know, it sounds like a, a really cool city and I suppose it sounds like the lifestyle would suit me. It's, uh, it seems to be quite a health and fitness oriented area um, and they're saying that the climate is quite nice because even though it's a mixed bag, um, it's probably one of the cooler climates to play in over there. But um, I had an uncle on my dad's side who lived there for a couple of years. He was working out there um, with his fiance. They just moved home of recent. And my other uncle now on my mom's side just moved to Melbourne from Perth after having been there for 10 years. He moved to Melbourne two weeks ago. So I will have a, a lot of... Um, I will have a lot of people that I can connect with, you know, when I'm over there. I have a friend from college actually living over there with her boyfriend too in Elwood. So um, it'll be it'll be easy to make it a home from home. One thing I'd like to know right now is because you're not meant to start training essentially till it comes to October. I believe at the moment you're playing championship level football in, in Gaelic. So how do you balance, I guess, over the next five months of obviously concentrating on Gaelic, but also trying to polish on your overball skills, getting ready for when you come to Melbourne in October? 
Yeah, so we're right in the thick of um, championship training at the minute, so it's a pretty full-on schedule. But, you know, I'm fortunate enough that I'm a primary school teacher, so in four weeks' time, I'll actually have my holidays from school. So that'll free up my daytime routine, which will also give me a lot more chance to put emphasis on the oval ball and get out during the daytime kicking and practicing and also give me time to kind of do some video research as well. Um you know, if I was in a full-time job Monday to Friday, 9 to 5, throughout between now and October, that would be a lot more difficult. But once I finish up in four weeks, I'm free to concentrate solely on football and AFL. And how does that affect your life? Obviously, as you said, you're a primary school teacher. I guess having to give that up, at least in Ireland anyway, to move to Australia. Um, are you focusing on football here full-time? Are you staying for the six months? Are you looking to stay on and perhaps do teaching in Australia? Um, yeah, so I'm, to be honest, I'm open to whatever opportunities come my way. Um, I'm really looking forward to the change and the move because um, I suppose traveling is something I've always wanted to do and traveling while playing sports is, you know, it's like a catch, quite a catch. But um, I suppose if all goes well over the six months, I'd be hoping that it would become a more long-term thing and hopefully maybe sign for, you know, season two or whatever. Um but that's going to take a lot of work and commitment and effort and hopefully, you know, everything will fall into place um, then. But, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't rule out the fact of, of teaching over in Australia in, um, after the season, but I'm just going to focus on football for the first six months while I'm over there and come to grips with it and get to know the area and things like that. And then I'll take it once we've finished the premiership, I suppose I'll take it from there on. The Irish Banshees play, I think it's next month in Sweden in the uh, AFL Euro Niner-Side Cup. And then, of course, there's the AFL European Championships in October. Is there a temptation to put on an Irish Banshees jumper? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I would, um, if uh, the Irish Banshees um, doesn't affect my football, um, uh, then I would definitely be considering putting on an Irish Banshees jumper. a jumper because um, it's something I'd love to do, especially, you know, prior to going over to Australia, it would be lovely to have an Irish cap, um, you know, heading over. And also it'll give me an opportunity to, you know, progress my skills and just get a bit, get a bit more knowledge on the game at a more of an elite level. Um, so please God in October, um, I'll get to play in the European Cup. And everyone's their own best critic. So if you were to look at your skills right now, what's probably the one facet of your Aussie rules game that you would actually like to improve on the most? Um, I suppose uh, the hand passing of the ball. Um, you know, it's a little different to hand passing here, just with the shape of the ball and that. Um, you know, to get good direction and power behind the ball, I suppose that's one area that I'm kind of going to try and nail. Um, kicking is another area, even though, you know, I have... I've, Done a, done a lot of it and I've had a lot of kick in at practice and that but there's still are always room for improvement you know and um, taking a mark and I suppose coming taking the time to take your steps back and set yourself up you know it's just a, it's a little different to the way we set ourselves up here for a free kick and um, so I suppose there's there's a lot to work on and I definitely will be working on them but um, I'd say ho- there's a holistic a holistic approach to the work I need to do. Well, Murray, thank you very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's Digital Radio Channel Carnival. And we look forward to seeing you out here in Melbourne, in Australia, come October, preparing for the 2020 AFL Women's season. Oh, super, Peter. I can't wait for it. Um, I'm so excited and I've already had some of the fans get in touch with me on social media, so I'm very grateful for the support. Um, and I just can't wait to meet everybody and get going on this.
Well, let's keep the women's international footy flavour going for a moment by checking in with some quick scores from North America. Let's head over first to Tacoma, Washington. Now, this will be the site on June 15th of the Cascadia Tournament, a three-way tournament between the Seattle Grizzlies, Portland Sockeyes and San Francisco Iron Maidens on June 15th. That is going to be an absolute cracker. But over the weekend, the Seattle Grizzlies played host to the Edmonton Emus and Vancouver Vixens combination team. And Seattle ended up taking the points, 2-6-18 over Edmonton Vancouver. Vancouver 2-4-16. Let's head over the border, first of all, to the AFL Quebec competition, where it was a rematch of last year's women's grand final for the opening round of the season. And the Plateau Eagles defeated the Montreal City Bluebells 5-11-41 to 4-3-27. Across the AFL Ontario competition for round one football, one of the matches was called off early due to lightning. That was the High Park Demons versus Ottawa Swans game. Earlier in the day, the Hamilton Wildcats 13-13-9 defeated the Central Blues one straight six. The Etipico Kangaroos having the bye. Round two football is this Saturday, the 1st of June, with the Etipico Kangaroos hosting the Hamilton Wildcats and the Ottawa Swans playing host to the Central Blues. High Park Demons with the bye. Joining us on the line now here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival. Calling in all the way from London, it's great to have on the line Shannon Power. Shannon, how are you? I am very well. How are you doing this week? Well, I'm feeling fantastic, but you must be thrilled because you're looking forward to Wednesday night football happening tonight, London time. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be um, one of the, the first midweek games of the season. We've only got a few, but uh, a Wednesday night, you know, they'll play sort of later into the night because, you know, sunlight happens all day now that we've got daylight savings. But um, it's going to be a really great game. It's Demons versus the Wildcats. Uh, so what's uh, they're both unbeaten, so it's going to be a really well-contested game. Um, the Demons do have a home advantage, um, and they've started the way they ended last season, which is on a high so they might prove a bit too strong for the Wildcats. But either way, I think it'll be a really cracking game of footy. We'll touch on that game in a moment, but I just want to quickly rewind back just a couple of weeks. Uh, we couldn't catch up with you last week. Things were a bit busy, but just to quickly have an overview of the games we played on the 18th of May in both the Premiership and the Conference Division. And you're talking about the Wandsworth Demons. What a big win they had over their uh, long-term rivals, the uh, Wimbledon Hawks. 9-15-69 to no score. Yeah, absolutely. And we're seeing that a lot, quite a bit this season with the absolute whitewashing of scores. But the Hawks, they played their first home game of the season out at the Nest um, against the Demons, as you said. But they just, the Demons just came out too strong and took control of the game. Um, so unfortunately for the Hawks, the Demons, they just keep continuing their good run, um, kept the Hawks scores, which is a bit of a shock, we have to say. Um, but the goal scorers for the Demons um, amongst their nine goals were between Amy Long, who got most of them, and Bonnie uh, Johnson scored two goals, and then there were some individual goal scorers as well. Uh, best on ground for the Hawks was Alison Derling, but, um, you know, again, the Demons are just absolutely smashing it this season, much like last year. The North London Lions, 10-20, Haiti, defeating the <laughs> South East London Giants, no score. Yeah, so unfortunately, I think the Giants wanted to have a bit of revenge on the first game of the season where they, again, got completely uh, smashed by the North London Lions. But again, the, the Lions girls were just too strong for the Giants. Um, and, you know, they, they, they played at home there. The best on ground for the Lions is Stephanie Philbay. She was a top scorer with five goals. 
Madeline Clark had two goals. And um, for the Giants, Nikki Lowe was probably best on ground, uh, backed up by her co-captains, Alex Umbers and Sia Smith. So the Lions, again, proving really strong. And I I wouldn't be surprised um, at a fierce competition when the Lions and Demons face off against each other in a couple of weeks' time. Let's flip across to the conference division. And despite Wandsworth handing out a belting in the premiership, it was the reverse in the conference division. They didn't get on the scoreboard. Putney Magpies, 10-3-63. Yeah, absolutely. So quite a discrepancy there in the um, in the two divisions. But um, again, like a really a, a great game to, to be played there. And um, just goes to show the... You know, the, the more players you've got on, on, on different teams, the different outcomes you can have in the different divisions. So um, a really interesting game to watch that I'm on. And a low-scoring battle between the Swans and the Wildcats. One straight six to just three behinds. The Swans getting the chocolates. Yep, yep. I mean, whatever it takes to win, even if it is a low-scoring game. Um, again, like a, quite, quite a big turnout for that one. Um, and, yeah, just goes to show that... Uh, you know, the, um, the the conference division is definitely up and coming and I, I think we'll see a lot of development over the season in that one. So let's have a look ahead to what's coming up. As we said, the conference division having a bye this weekend. Two games on mm-hmm. over the next few days for the Premiership division. So it will be happening 29th of May, which is tonight, London time at 7pm at Clapham Common. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about the facilities of the ground, particularly for, I guess, twilight slash night football and the crowd that will be anticipated to come along? Because if I'm correct, it's a standalone fixture. Yeah, that's right. So um, it's, I think, one of only two maybe midweek games for the entire season for the women. Um, the the Clapham Commons, I guess, like definitely one of the better grounds out there. And uh, I don't, I'm not sure if they do actually have lights, but it doesn't matter because it does stay quite light here in London now with daylight savings. Um, so I think the game will be over, you know, by about a little bit after eight. and still be well and truly light. Um, but it, it is a fun thing to do during the week. Most games are on pretty early on a Saturday morning, which is a bit rough for us to, to have to commit to that. So I think everybody's looking forward to sort of, I guess, a change of uh, routine and um, getting down to get around the girls at uh, Clapham Common there. And according to the AFL England website, if I'm correct, uh, the Wildcats will back up in a few days' time for a game on the 1st of June versus the South East London Giants at Peckham Rye. Yes, I think this is actually going to be a really interesting game um, because the Wildcats and Giants went up against each other in the pre-season cup. So it's a home game for the Giants, but uh, it was a really contested game in the pre-season cup, which I believe the Giants just won. Um, so the fact that they are quite sort of, I guess, closely aligned in terms of, of skill and, and, I guess, performance this season, it should be like a really great game. And I think the Giants really want to get out onto the ground on Saturday and really prove themselves. They've had a couple of big losses against the Lions so far. Um, it'll be a slow scoring game, but I think it'll be hotly contested um, between those two teams. Well, Shannon, thanks very much again for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's Digital Radio Channel Carnival. We look forward to catching up with you next week as we review the last couple of games of AFL London Women's League. Thanks so much, Peter. No need to touch that dial. We've got more Women's Australian Rules football coming up in just a moment right here on RSN 927's digital radio channel, Carnival. There's jumpers, hoodies and tees for you at leaguetees.com.au. 
leaguetees.com.au is your place for retro footy gear with designs created by local artists that you won't find anywhere else. Plus, their unique range of women's footy tees help raise funds for Indigenous literacy programs. Get online and start shopping today. You're listening to Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival Digital Radio by the RSN Racing and Sport app and rsn.net.au. I'm Peter Holden. Thanks for your company. Time for our State Leagues Wrap where we fly around the country finding out what's happening in women's footy. First of all, some quick scores from the WAFLW competition. Round four played over the weekend. Claremont 5-1-31, defeating Subiaco 3-6-24, while Swan Districts 11-5-71 had a comfortable win over Peel Thunder 4-1-25. Round five is this weekend on Saturday, June 1st. Claremont plays host to East Fremantle 3.45pm at Claremont Oval while kicking the dew off the grass at 9.15am on Sunday morning. Peel Thunder play host to Subiaco. And joining us on the line now to review the Sanford Women's Competition and its grand final that was held over on the weekend. It's great to have on the line from the Two Crows podcast, Alison Schiller. Ali, how are you? Oh, I'm absolutely fabulous to put it in a 90s stand there. Peter, yourself? I'm feeling pretty good, but I really do need to ask you the question again. How are you feeling, at least in the eyes of North Adelaide fans? You put the kiss of death on them. <laughs> I certainly did put the kiss of death on them, and I don't think I'm welcome at North Adelaide anytime soon. Well, at least to put my hand up and say, put all your money on North. So sorry about that, North Adelaide. I did back you in. And um, I did put the mockers on you. So, yes, it was a tough old game out there. Reigning premiers, South Adelaide, uh, 4-7-31, defeated North Adelaide, one goal, three, nine points. As you mentioned, I certainly did put the kiss of death on them. The Put it this way, poor old North, they beat Glenelg in their first final by two points. In finals week two, they beat ladder leaders Norwood by two points. And in keeping with the Richie Benno theme, they ended up going down to a reigning Premier South Adelaide by 22 points. So I got the two part right. I just really had it A backwards and about face. So, uh, yeah, sorry, North. Um, but to get on with the game, it actually took a fair while to get the first goal on the board. But right near the end of the first quarter, uh, South Adelaide were able to get the goal, first goal in there by Tamara Page. And they never looked back. Rick Watts must have been uh, so proud. South Adelaide lost key players in the off-season for the AFLW. And Captain Lauren Buchanan also made a comeback from a knee injury, which for some was a surprise inclusion. Uh, First-year player, and this is someone I will talk about a little bit later, Indy Tahu, first goal of the second quarter was sublime to the ridiculous. She got the ball just outside the 50, shrugged off a tackler, Handball the ball in front while another player grabbed her so she could avoid that tackle. Kept running inside 50, grabbed the ball, slotted on the right boot, straight through the middle. Well done, Indy. And also, just to keep that going, she also monstered the ball from Ruck and snapped another one straight through the big sticks for two goals for her game. So that was magnificent from Indy there. Congratulations. Uh, Lauren Daniel managed to kick North Adelaide's first goal, bringing the margin back to six points. When Taya Charlton soccer through an opportunistic goal, widened the gap further, and that was it, all she tried. Indy Tahu also laid tackle of the day, stopping a charging Jess Eichner dead in her tracks. 
South midfielders Kawara score on Munyard worked tirelessly all day in the wet and wild conditions, while Ruck Montana McKinnon took six marks around the ground, which were really telling. Hammond and Smith provided all the run out of defence. For Northside, Captain Nadia Bomberto did everything she could to keep the Roosters in the game, including a game-high 23 disposals. Amber Ward battled hard in defence, as did their middies Britt Perry and Lauren Daniel. The Roosters have been so close on three occasions, and that should only fire up Matt Slade's charges for next season. And they should be very proud of their efforts, as I don't think many people would have put them in with a chance of actually playing in the GF this year. For South Adelaide, it was back-to-back success. Two years in the comp for two premierships, not bad if you don't mind. But the disposals of the game, though, for South, Kavoris with 22, uh, Tahu with 20, Charlton with 18, Gore with 16, Munyad 15, Hammond and Smith 12. For North, as mentioned, Von Verdo 23, Hal 19, Ellison Ward 16, Daniel M. Perry with 15. Goals there, Indy Tahu for two, Charlton with one, and Tamara Page with a single there. And as mentioned before, North Adelaide's Lauren Daniel kicked their solitary goal. And it's probably no surprise to anybody, the player I've been talking about for this time, Indy Tahu took out the best on-ground medal. So congratulations there, Indy, and congratulations to Coach Rick Watts as well of South Adelaide. Inaugural last year with Chrissy Steen at the helm, who left and went over to be an assistant with GWS. Rick Watts stepped up, lost players, had an extremely young team, and took them over line for back-to-back. So congratulations and well done. And for North Adelaide, I'm betting, oh, I should actually bet anything. I should say North Adelaide have finished last and they've got a good chance at the Premiership next year. Peter. We just want to touch on for a quick moment as well the best and fairest awards that were held during the week leading up to the grand final. And uh, we do point out that Norwood superstar Noah Allen not only won the Sanford Women's uh, League best and fairest, but also won the Sanford Women's League Coaches Award. Oh, wow. Yes, she's been dominating the game. And uh, I think I mentioned when Norwood went down to North Adelaide, she was actually missing from that game with an injury. And she possibly would have been the difference there. But she's dominated the competition all year with the disposals and prowess. And I think she's an ex-GS, GWS listed player. So congratulations there, Najwa, if I'm pronouncing that wrong. Otherwise, get the butcher's knives out. And um, well done on the award. And hopefully she can get picked up next year and continue back on her way with AFLW. And I'll also point out that she averaged a stunning 25.4 disposals per match, five marks and three clearances per match in her inaugural Sample Women's campaign. Uh, if you don't mind, all done in nine matches too. So that was a total of, was it 234 disposals where all the other players even close to her. The next one was Hannah Dunn, also from her team, with 207 in 10 games. So absolutely dominated the competition there. Talk about dominating the competition. The leading goal kicker for the year was North Adelaide's Kelly Baltrop, uh, booting 26 majors across the minor round, uh, 12 ahead of her nearest rival, West Adelaide's Chelsea Biddle on 14. Yes, and she also um, broke her own record from last year and beat the total amount of goals that have been kicked in a single season for the SANFLW. So well done there, Kelly. Well, Ali, thank you very much for joining us, as always, with your Sanford Women's Report. As we said last week, congratulations again on being married uh, during the Sanford Women's season. (laughs) And we look forward to catching up with you again soon. Where can people find that Two Crows podcast? 
Yes, at Two Crows Podcast, hashtag Two Crows Footy. Thank you very much, Peter. Checking in now with results of the Tasmanian State League Women's Competition. Round 5 played over the weekend, all games on Sunday. Launceston 14-9-93, defeated Tigers, no score. Glenorchy 12-12-84, a big win over North Launceston 2-4-16. Well, Clarence 14-17-101, smashed Lauderdale one straight six. Looking ahead to round six football, and we've got a game this Friday night, 5.30pm at KGV, when Glenorchy play host to Clarence. Two games on the Sunday, 12pm at Twin Ovals, Tigers play host to Lauderdale, while at 12pm at Windsor Park, Launceston play host to North Launceston. And joining us on the line now here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival to look back at the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division in Round 7, we've got on the line Lauren Hodgson. Lauren, how are you? Yeah, good, thanks, Peter. How are you? Not too bad at all, and this is the first round of football in AFL Sydney in a few weeks where the Giants players are now back uh, playing local football after their commitments in the VFLW Invitational matches. Yeah, wasn't it? Um, I mean, look, we, we certainly noticed those players coming back into all, uh, all the sides. Well, let's have a look at the first game. Unfortunately, a bit one-sided. Newtown Breakaways, one five eleven going down to the East Coast Eagles, 19-14, 128. Yeah, look, as you said, Peter, very one-sided. Um, the Eagles came out and kicked 6-4-40 to um, two behinds in the first quarter, so it was always going to be hard work after that. Uh, the, the breakaways did get their, their goal on the board in the second quarter, but as I said, uh, very slim picking for them throughout the day, and it was, it was a really um, tough match, which has been, uh, I guess, evident of their season. Um, Riley McGartland came back to the Eagles after... Um, Playing in the VWFL, uh, sorry, VFLW Invitational, and she, uh, boy, did she come back eight goals. Uh, Wilson kicked six. Uh, former Giants listed player Gisu kicked two as well. So the Eagles, um, you know, look, they're flying in their first season, Peter. They, um, they really are. I mean, they, they couldn't have hoped for a better start to uh, their women's Premier Division uh, existence. The Southern Power four three twenty seven defeated the UTS Bats two four sixteen. Yeah, look, a really close game there um, between these two sides, as they often are. Uh, look, there was only one point in it at quarter time uh, with the bats up. Uh, Power scored a point in the second quarter to, to even it up. And uh, fortunately for Power, they kicked three goals in the third quarter, which in the end really uh, really proves the difference. And they were able to hold on um, to get a, a close win in the fourth. Uh, look, the, the goal kickers for Power were Curran and Fairley with two. And uh, and the goal kickers for the bats were Grabowski and Bean. So, uh, as I said, these two sides have been fairly closely matched over the last two to three seasons. And, uh, yeah, it was a, a very, uh, very tight contest. A big win for the UNSW Eastern Suburbs Bulldogs, 11-7-73, defeating the Inner West Magpies, 2-1-13. Yeah, certainly a, a big win there and, and not unexpected. Um, look, the Magpies have had a, a better year this year. Um, but, yeah, look, they, they really struggled to uh, hit the scoreboard. Um, the Bulldogs had a good start kicking 4-1 in the first. And, look, they're a side that certainly benefited from having um, players back from the Giants' commitments. Uh, Beck Privatelli came back and kicked two. And uh, looks like Jody Hicks has signed with the Bulldogs, and uh, she kicked two as well. So uh, they're certainly doing well. Um, and the goal kickers for uh, the Magpies were Rantel and uh, Leal Kassem, who's uh, covered from her concussion um, playing for the Giants a couple of weeks ago. And the Sydney Uni Bombers, 2-2-14, went down to Macquarie University, 6 4 40. 
Yeah, look, this was a, a close result. Um, look, to be honest, I probably thought the scores would be slipped and it would be the Bombers by a, by a small a small margin. So, uh, but yeah, look, the Warriors are certainly showing that uh, um, you know they're going to be up there again uh, for premiership contention. Uh, look, Sydney Uni uh, struggled throughout the day to get on the board. They only got a goal in the second quarter and, and didn't get their second until the last. Uh, whereas the Uni were a bit more consistent. Um, Throughout and uh, but look, both sides have got um, established squads, but they've also got some uh, good young players uh, coming through. So uh, look, the the top four is um, is really up for grabs uh, this year, and I think we're going to have a really uh, close final series. I know we're only halfway through, but uh, it's setting up to be another even and very competitive competition, Peter. Well, let's get your tips for round eight. All games being played on Saturday, the 1st of June. Uh, first of all, pick an oval, 1pm, the Inner West Magpies playing host to the Southern Power. Yeah, look, I think this could be a, um, a fairly close contest. Um, obviously, Power's had a, a few wins on the board um, and they're, they're just above uh, West on the ladder, but I think it'll be a close one uh, and predicting Power to take that out. 1.30pm at Macquarie University. Mac Uni play host to the Newtown Breakaways. Yeah, look, I think it's going to be a, a bit more pain for the Breakaways. Um, and uh, I think Mac Uni will, will win fairly comfortably. 4.10pm at Sydney Uni, number one oval. The Bombers play host to the UTS Bats. Uh, look, I think the Bombers um, will win uh, fairly comfortably as well. Um, UCS have shown that they can play some good footy, but I think the Bombers are just going to be too good, particularly um, with uh, most of the Giants players being available. And finally, 4.50pm on Saturday at Cambridge Oval, the East Coast Eagles versus the UNSW Eastern Suburbs Bulldogs. Yeah, well, this could potentially be the closest match of the round. Obviously, uh, both sides uh, should be full strength with players back from uh, Giants' commitment. Uh, and I think, um, look, the Bulldogs have, have had a good, oh, well, they've probably hit some form the last couple of weeks despite missing their players. So uh, I'm going to tip them away from home in a close one. Well, Lauren, thanks very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. And we look forward to catching up with you next week when we review round eight of the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division. Yeah, looking forward to it, Peter, and uh, good luck with the rest of the program. To the UNSW Canberra 1st Grade Women's Competition, round five played over the weekend where Balcona Magpies 25-19-169 had a comfortable win over Gungahlin Jets, no score. Ainsley Tricolors 1-4-10 went down the Quimbian Tigers 14-3-87, while Tuggeranong Hawks didn't get on the scoreboard against Eastlake Demons, which racked up 15-11-101. Looking ahead to round six action, we've got Friday night football, 6.30pm at King to Noble when Eastlake Demons play host to Balcon and Magpies. 3.45pm Saturday at Greenway Oval, Tuggeranong Hawks play host to the Ainsley Tricolours. While 3.45pm at the Gungahlin Enclosed Oval, the Jets play host to the Quimbian Tigers. <laughs> Joining us on the line now here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital channel Carnival. It's great to have on the line from AFL Queensland, Ant Wingard. Ant, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Not too bad at all. Great to see the Winter Series kick off a three-match series between the Lions and the Suns as we prepare for the Suns to enter the AFLW in 2020. And it's first blood to the Lions with a handy win over the Suns at Metricon. Yeah, that's right. They, they did get the win. But I think probably the main takeaway from me that it, it was kind of the Suns that 
really rose to the occasion. Obviously, I think David Lake after the game, he said they had only spent 49 hours together as a group, but they really um, did look the part of an AFLW side. They matched it with the Lions, and it was just two goals um, just before three-quarter time from Dakota Davidson that, that really kind of edged you uh, Brisbane ahead and kind of out of the out of arm's reach from Gold Coast. But it, it, was, a, it was a good contest. It was... Um, as you'd expect for kind of two teams that have a, a lot of new faces, it was a bit scrappy at, at, at times. But I think both teams obviously are better off in the long run having played it and getting used to the, the faces and the names around them. A chance for Craig Starsevich to experiment as well as Jessica Wigner was named in the back pocket. Yeah, that's right. She, she, she's played a bit there for Cooperoo, um kind of leading up to the Winter Series. So I don't know if there's um, some kind of talks going on between the Lions and Cooperoo, but... Yeah, she was really good with Nat Garada across halfback and I think her, just her intercept marking, especially in the, in the first quarter, especially when Gold Coast, um, the ball was really locked into Brisbane's Ford 50. Gold Coast would try and clear it and, uh, Woosh would always be there and to, to kind of mark and, you know, reset the attack. So she, she was really good. And also kind of Shannon Campbell was, um, thrust down forward like she has at QAFLW level as well. And she, she performed really well, kicked the first goal of the game and, um, a bit like she's been doing for Marichal, just really presents that uh, solid lead up forward. And I don't know, maybe we'll see it in AFLW, but I think Stars was just keen to kind of freshen um, a few players up. So um, I don't know, they'd, they'd just be a bit more refreshed um, in the long run. Some impressive performances for the Suns and the likes of uh, Taylor Smith, Jackie Yorston and Maddie Roberts. Yeah, J- Jackie Yorson was probably my best on in the game. I think, especially um, when Brisbane kind of were on top early, she really set the tone for Gold Coast. Um, like we've kind of seen her AFLW level with the Lions, uh, the season just gone. Lots of tackles, um, just really good around the stoppages. Her pressure was really good. Maddie Roberts started forward, uh, moved into the midfield uh, in the into the second half, which I feel like she's just a bit more familiar, a bit more comfortable. Um, in the middle, she performed really well. And then Taylor Smith, as you said, um, she kicked a, a long-range goal in the three-quarter time siren and um, kicked the, uh, the Gold Coast other goal as well, I think, in the second. So uh, another good showing from her. Um, yeah, and I suppose you can kind of see from um, their performances at State League for uh, Bond, for Taylor, and, and also Cooley for Maddie, how they've kind of transitioned into the Suns lineup and Hopefully they can continue that. And obviously Matty's earned the spot. Hopefully he'll be the same for Taylor. And of course, the next match between the Lions and the Suns as part of the Winter Series will be on June 23 at Great Barrier Reef Arena in Mackay. Let's have a look to the QAFLW competition. Because of that match, there was the bye. Uh, we return for round seven this Saturday, the 1st of June. Uh, your tips, first of all, 12.30pm down at Hickey Park. Uh, the Wollstone Grange Gorillas playing host to Cooparoo. I think Cooperoo, I know we spoke about it last time um, with their big win over Astley. Their, their season's kind of back on track now. They're starting to get all their AFLW players back. Um, I think they're, they're kind of just hitting form at the right time and they should get um, probably produce a, a good showing against Wilson Grange and what will be the QAFLW's um, Indigenous round this weekend, obviously, with the bye last weekend. Um, yeah, I, I think just the... The, the polish and just the talent-laden side that Cooperoo has, it, it'll probably just be too much for Wollstone Grange, I imagine, which will, it'll be nice given it's the, the grand final rematch, obviously what happened uh, six, seven months ago 
um, with your uh, Wilson Grange getting up. So hopefully Cooper can kind of rewrite that wrong um, this weekend. 3.45pm at Leishon Park. It's Yoronga South Brisbane up against the Bull Sharks of Bond University. I, oh, this is it's such a tough one because I think Bond, Bond University really is the standout team in the comp right now. But I'm just so wary of riding off Yoronga, especially after their, their round one win over Bond. But I think I will have to tip Bond in this one. I think a bit like Coopery, they just have talent all across the park. Um, they'll kind of only get stronger as um, names come back from AFLW, um and the the state league uh, the talent program as well. And I think especially after that round one loss, Bond University will, will be pretty keen just to put that one behind them, continue their win streak, and really assert themselves as a team to beat this year. Four forty-five PM at Exum Oval. It's Coolangatta Tweed versus Apsley. I think Coolangatta um, will probably emerge uh, the winners in this one, but. The riding's a bit on the wall for both teams who have, you know, Cool and Gatter's lost two in a row against Wilson Grange and then against Bond before the bye. And Aspley obviously um, had kind of a tough initiation to the QAFL this year. Um, I think they haven't, you know, they've, they've struggled to really hit the scoreboard over the past three weeks or so. So it'll be an interesting contest, but I just think Cool and Gatter will be um, just the, the better team. And talk about Matty Roberts in the midfield. Um, Matt Bedford, who coaches Colin Gatter, was actually um, an assistant coach for the Suns on the weekend, so he's got some experience there. I think the Colin Gatter will probably just be too much for Astley, I think. And at 4.45pm at St. Lucia, it's the UQ Red Lions up against the much-improved Maroochydore Kangaroos. So, uh, I think this one is probably the most intriguing matchup of the of the round, just because Maroochydore... Um, probably the, the most improved side looking from last season to this season. And then UQ, when they're on their day, they're amongst the best teams in the competition. But when they're not really firing on all cylinders, you, you're not really sure what you're going to get. So I think in saying that, I think Maruchador, um probably should get the win. Um, unlike I think their last game, they, they will get um, a few players back um, with no kind of state league game happening um, sorry, like talent, talent pathway. Um, guys like Bell Doors, Lily Postlethwaite, who played for Brisbane on the weekend. Um, they're really probably amongst the top handful of under 18 talent coming through, and Maruchador's got them at their disposal. So I think Maruchador will probably win, um, but I, I think that'll just be a close contest. Well, and thanks very much for joining us here on RSN Carnival. We look forward to catching up with you next week when we review round seven of the QAFLW competition. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. Joining us on the line now here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival to review round three of the Swiss Wellness VFL Women's Competition. It's our league caller here at RSN Carnival. It is Matthew Cox. Coxie, how are you? Very well, Pete. Uh, the frosted nicely after uh, yesterday or the other day out at uh, Skybus Stadium. Um, but uh, it was a fairly intriguing contest between those two sides, which we'll review very shortly as part of a big weekend of Swiss Wellness VFLW action. Yeah, let's have a look back at the first game. A low-scoring, grinded-out victory for the Collingwood Magpies. 3-4-22, knocking off Geelong 2-3-15 down at GMHBA Stadium. A very... Well, I just mentioned our game was intriguing on Sunday. This was even more intriguing given the form line of these two sides. Collingwood, as we know, are coming off a good 
good performance against Hawthorne last weekend and a dismal performance against uh, the Southern Saints back in round one. The, the catch uh, didn't have the greatest of results against Melbourne Uni. Uh, we were able to get a win in round two, but unfortunately not get the result on the weekend against the Pies. Uh, they didn't get a goal, the catch, until the second half. Uh, Collingwood got a goal in the opening term, and it was just behind after that. So a very even affair around the ground by the looks of things. Jamie Lambert kicked two goals for Collingwood. Shevlin was the other goal kicker for them. The two goal kickers for the catch, Jordan Ivy, Ivy and Webster, were their goal kickers. Possession largely went the way of Collingwood, 55% of the game. And uh, having a look, they had more kicks, a heap more kicks, 144 to 102. Hambles swayed the other way by just two in favour of Geelong. A lot more marks also the way of Collingwood. So they were possessing the football and kicking it long. 43 to 16 was the marks. Tackles 111 to 95 the way of the Cats. The leading possession getters on the ground for Collingwood. It was Jamie Lambert. In addition to her two goals, racked up 30 touches. Uh, as well as taking eight marks and laying six tackles. McDonald was the leading one, a possession getter for the Cats with 24, uh, 14 kicks and 10 handballs, as well as laying seven tackles. And that, of course, is Amy McDonald, not Meg McDonald. Let's turn our attention to the next game, the Darabin Falcons versus Hawthorne. The Falcons had been impressive despite some losses in the first two rounds. Felt that they were going to push Hawthorne. Instead, the Hawks had some big names back in their side and it reflected on the scoreboard in the end. 8-13-61 Hawthorne against Darabin, 3-1-19. Yeah, and it was the third term that really split the game open. It was quite even at half-time, 3-6-3-1, but uh, the Falcons didn't get on the scoreboard after the major breaks. Uh, Hawthorne kicking away and asserting their dominance and they really needed to after a poor opening couple of weeks where they have fallen down on a couple of occasions and for sides they probably would have penciled in coming into the season uh, to get that win and to get a dominant win on the weekend is what they needed to achieve and it's exactly what they got so got a feeling now they'll start to get on a roll as you said they got some stars back on the weekend which will gradually filter into this side as well to make them even stronger Sibley kicked two goals for the Hawks on the weekend Carol Cormick, Flanagan, Gilda, Hutchins and Pachette uh, all kicked goals for them on the weekend. The three goal kickers for Darabin, Buckley, David and Simpson. Leading uh, possession for team for the teams on the weekend, which stood out, 90 tackles the way of Hawthorne to just 67 for the Darabin Falcons. So a lot of pressure being applied by Hawthorne to cause turnovers and then get scoring opportunities as a result of that. Leading possession on the ground for the Hawks was Rebecca Beeson with just 17 touches, 13 kicks, four handballs and uh, three marks, three tackles. For Darabin, it was Molly Eastman who had the highest possessions on the ground. 16 touches on the weekend, also laid six tackles. To Swinburne Centre we go, and Richmond 8-10-58 defeated Essendon 3-5-23. At least for premiership points, Richmond have put up uh, some big points on the scoreboard in round one and in round three. Of course, they had that loss but rested a number of players last week against the GWS Giants. Essendon would be disappointed with that performance. Uh, they lost by under a goal in their first two games and they lose by 35 points on this occasion. 
Yeah, I would be disappointed. They've run both Casey and the Cats close in the opening couple of rounds, and they were actually still in with a chance at half time. It was three, four to one goal, but fairly even, you would suggest. Uh, and then the Tigers just blew it away, uh, similar to our, our last review of the Hawthorne match. Uh, the Tigers just blew it out in the third quarter, kicking, uh, what's that, four goals in the third term to, to round out victors and also kicked six behind. So had plenty of scoring opportunities in that third term. Bailey kicked two. Here's a, uh, a name, Brennan, into the Tigers lineup for the first time on the weekend. Katie Brennan kicked two goals. Colwell, Gunn, Akek McCurr, Chout and Stall Smith were the goal kickers for the Tigers on the weekend. Maureen kicked two for the Bombers and Dimiteo kicked one goal as well for them. Uh, and as you'd expect with the, the dominant performance for the Tigers, they virtually led most of the stats on the weekend, apart from rebound 50s, 29 to 14 for the Bombers. Uh, they also won the tackles by one, 69 to 68. Took more marks, the Bombers, so 45 to 29. So not a bad result there, but unfortunately couldn't do a hell of a lot more with it. Leading possession getter on the ground, no surprises here. Katie Brennan racked up 23 touches. We've referenced a couple of times she's looking to play a much more midfield role with Richmond this year, um, and she did that, plus kicking two goals as well. Monique Conti was also in the side for the first time on the weekend. She racked up 22 touches. For the Bombers, their leading possession getter on the ground was Georgia Nance Cowan with 14 disposals, 10 kicks and four handballs. We go to a rain-soaked VU Witten Oval where the Western Bulldogs 3-4-22 outlasted Melbourne University 1-6-12. Yeah, and if you're just purely looking at the score sheet, I know you were there uh, on Saturday night or Saturday twilight, so you might be a little better to explain uh, what exactly happened. But just looking at the scoreboard in this game, it was fairly tight in the first three quarters. The Bulldogs... Uh, just getting a little margin uh, in the final term. The Muggers actually had some scoring opportunities in that third quarter. They put on three behinds from four scoring shots. So they had opportunities. They just weren't able to capitalise. Danny Marshall, again, has kicked two goals for the Western Bulldogs, as we spoke about pre-game on Sunday. Uh, She has to end up on an AFLW list after her performances. No, there's not too much coverage about what her performances have been like, but in that game at Downer Oval a couple of weeks ago and then again on the weekend, she has stood very tall and displayed her versatility across the ground. Scott was the other goal kicker for the Bulldogs. Uh, Saad was the only goal scorer on the weekend for the Muggers. The leading possession getters in this game, Riddle was there up there again with 34 touches. Kate Gillespie-Jones was there as well with 31. Uh, Brown was the leading possession getter on the weekend for the Western Bulldogs with 20. Let's turn our attention to Sunday football at Downer Oval in Williamstown. The top of the table, Casey Demon 7-6-48, defeating Williamstown 2-1-13. Halfway through this game, we thought there might have been an upset on offer with uh, the Seagulls leading 2-1, 13-2. Uh, it, it, late in the second term, the uh, Demons were able to edge their nose in front at half-time, 2-2-14, and then broke away. Um, so what I read into that, it's encouraging from Williamstown that they were actually able to keep 
uh, up with the Casey Demons for a half. The Demons are, of course, aligned with Melbourne, so there is some AFLW experience amongst that list. So to be able to keep up with them for a half, I think that's very encouraging for this very young and inexperienced uh, Seagulls lineup that is out there. Carla kicked two goals for them on the weekend. Those two goals coming in the opening half, they didn't impact the scoreboard after half time, which they will be a little disappointed in. Uh, but I think uh, it is a positive that they were definitely competitive for the first half of footy. For the Casey Demons, um, they would have got a little bit of a fright uh, after uh, having a good victory against. Carlton last weekend. They were run close by the Bombers back in round one. So to be able to break three in the second half of this game was important and they were able to do that. Patterson kicked two goals. Archer, Birch, Davies, Smith and Zanker were the other goal kickers on the weekend. Leading possession getter on the ground, Pete, was Moana Hope with 19 touches in her second appearance for the Williamstown Seagulls. She also laid four tackles. Libby Birch was the leading possession getter for the Casey Demons with 17 touches on the weekend, uh, also taking four marks and laying four tackles. Now we go to Skybus Stadium in Frankston, which was our VFLW match of the day on Sunday. The Southern Saints 4-10-34, defeating Carlton 1-4-10. Yeah, it was a match even a much more even contest than what the scoreboard uh, suggests. I think the 24 points flatters the Southern Saints a little bit, although uh, they did control most of the momentum throughout the day. They were just unable to execute inside 50 until the final term, and then they were inaccurate there. There was a hefty breeze at Skybus Stadium on the weekend, which did affect the result of the game. And just quickly going down to the overall possession, it was 66 to 34 in favour of the Southern Saints. So again, reiterating that they did have a lot of the footy, but they were just unable to execute it and uh, show their class and polish around the ground as I probably expected them to. Uh, Brown, Greiser, Lucas Rod and Vogt were the goal kickers on the weekend for the Southern Saints. Snap playing the only goal kicker for Carlton on the weekend. Pat Phillips was leading possession getter on the ground with 25 touches on the weekend, again showing flashes of brilliance coming off half-back. Uh, also laid nine tackles as well, so very competitive performance from Cat Phillips. Uh, Jess Hosking was the next best for the Blues. Uh, she racked up 23 touches on the weekend, 20 kicks, just the three handballs. That's nice to see from a traditional traditionalist of uh, football. Uh, five tackles were also laid and she also took three marks, Jess Hosking. Well, that concludes our look at uh, the round of football. Are you surprised to see after three rounds on top of the table, particularly after their struggles uh, early last year, the Casey Demons leading the way three and zip? A little bit, but when they, you think of the opposition that they've come up against, I mean, Essendon did run them close. Uh, Williamstown were competitive against them and they've knocked off Carlton. So real, realistically, they've only had one other AFLW side or reserve side that they've come up against in the Blues and they were coming off a buy in round one. So I don't read too much into that. They're fortunate and they're holding well a percentage of 207.8 at the moment, which... Um, is the second highest of the top three, just looking at the ladder there. Um, and they've also played one extra game uh, when you consider the other two in the top three, the Bulldogs and Richmond. So not, not a little surprised given their form coming out of last season, but you, I suppose when you look at who they've actually played um, and how they've played, then uh, they've got every reason to be on top of the ladder. 
Let's get your tips for round four action this weekend. Saturday, 1st of June, 11.30am at Box Hill City Oval, Hawthorne versus Weemstown. I'd be nervous if I'm the Seagulls because Hawthorne will be coming off uh, a very dominant performance. They finally have some confidence and some momentum heading into this game. Playing it at home, I'd expect the Hawks to win and I'm expecting it to be a bit of a bloodbath. Seven to eight goals the margin. What the Seagulls need to do is just keep taking positives away from the game. If they can restrict the scoring impact from Hawthorne, I think that will be a positive. If they're in turn able to score, I think that will be a positive. So if they can just take little bits and pieces away from the game. They should be encouraged by that, but I think the Hawthorns should get the job done quite comfortably. Saturday at 11.50am for the first time at Arden Street, Oval, North Melbourne. Fourth versus third, Melbourne Uni versus Richmond. Yeah, interesting right week down at Arden Street, hasn't it? And uh, they get uh, their first VFLW game to be played there this weekend as well. This will be interesting. The Muggers have been fairly solid in the opening weeks. They've just gone down to the Western Bulldogs on the weekend. The Tigers are buoyant and they've got some stars in the side. If they stay in, I expect them to get the job done. If they don't, then I think Melbourne University will get over the line. Saturday, 12pm at Windy Hill. It's 10th versus 12th, Essendon versus Carlton. The old uh, traditional rivals uh, here, the Bombers and the Blues, and a game that uh, at Windy Hill last year between these two sides, we saw something pretty special, Pete, with Darcy Vessio kicking her nine goals. Uh, doubt whether she'll play this weekend. I know she was at the ground on the weekend, but I reckon she's being managed for the opening part of the season. So not expecting another nine-goal performance from her on the weekend. Having said that, I'd expect the Blues... Actually, no, I'm going to go with the Bombers, just uh, changing my mind on the spot there. I think the Bombers, they'll be disappointed with their effort last weekend against the Tigers. They were competitive in the opening two rounds. They should bounce back this weekend. Carlton, they showed good glimpses on the weekend, but they weren't very consistent. Um, and I, I think just needed to take a bit more control and be a little more composed with the footy. So I think the Bombers should be able to get their first win on the board this weekend. Saturday, 2pm at Victoria Park. We'll be live on air from 1pm on RSN Carnival 2, digital radio, warfradio.com and via the official VFL app. It's 7th versus 6th, Collingwood versus the NT Thunder. Three weeks ago, I would have said that would be a walk in the park. But uh, after Collingwood's last two weeks, they've been very impressive and turned things around very, very quickly. The Thunder are coming off a bye last weekend. Um, so they should be a, a little refreshed after the opening two games of the season. And, of course, they've played uh, their entire summer uh, up, up north, given that they're, uh, that's when they play their season. So uh, expecting them to come out fit and firing on the weekend. It'll be interesting to see which Collingwood side shows up. Given it's at Victoria Park, I'm expecting the Magpies to get the job done, but only just. I think the Thunder are going to bring it right down to the wire. Let's head to Victoria University, Witten Oval, 11.30am on Sunday, live on air from 10.30am on RSN Carnival 2 Digital Radio, warfradio.com and gofooty.live. It's the Western Bulldogs versus Geelong. This is second versus ninth. But a, a game that I think is a lot uh, closer than that latter uh, shows. I think the Cats are... Uh, 
there or thereabouts, even though they're, they're missing a few of their stars at the moment. They have been fairly competitive in the opening month of the season. The Western Bulldogs, I'm not convinced with them at the moment, even though they've got two wins on the board. They did come against Williamstown and they did beat Melbourne Uni in a bit of a scratch match last weekend. So I'm not convinced with the Western Bulldogs at the moment. It should be a very tight affair. Having said all that, I think I'll tip them at home. And finally, first versus fifth, 12pm Sunday at Casey Fields, the Casey Demons versus the Southern Saints. Yeah, this this is another beauty of a game. Uh, as you, as we were talking about before, Casey currently the top side of the competition. The Southern Saints, they are building at the moment. Two wins, one loss so far for the season. I'm liking how they're playing at the moment, the Southern Saints. If they can just get that forward conversion right after the weekend, I think they should win this game out of Casey Fields. Darabin with the bye. Coxie, thanks very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. We look forward to catching up with you soon. Thanks, Pete. It uh, should be another big round of footy coming up in the Swiss Wellness VFLW, and you can hear it all right here on RSN Carnival uh, on the number two station. Well, that concludes our program for yet another week. Just a friendly reminder, we now have the Women's Australian Rules football page available on the rsn.net.au website, which contains our show as a podcast, which is available from Thursday mornings and replays of our VFL Women's Match of the Day coverage. This show airs every Wednesday evening, 6pm Australian Eastern Standard Time on RSN Carnival 1 Digital Radio in Melbourne, while our VFL Women's Match of the Day coverage airs every weekend on RSN Carnival 2. This Saturday from 1pm, we present Collingwood versus the NT Thunder from Victoria Park. And then thanks to GoFooty.live, this Sunday morning from 10.30am, we present the Western Bulldogs versus Geelong at VU Witten Oval. You can find us on social media by going to twitter.com forward slash WARF radio or facebook.com forward slash WARF radio and our website WARF radio.com. I'm Peter Holton. Until next week, it's bye for now.